Well, again, we have had a wonderful day, a wonderful two days, and we certainly have been blessed both by, as I said this morning, our teacher's workshop with Dennis and Brenda. They'll uh, be going back. They're going to take a couple of days, I think, just to do some relaxing before heading home, and we're glad they're able to do that. And uh, we pray our blessings upon, God's blessings upon them for their safe return, and we again express our deep appreciation to them. And to the Evans family, I have um, also, in addition to hearing uh, positive comments about the teacher's workshop, heard very glowing and positive comments about our brother Adam Evans. Some of them were my own. I was telling myself how impressed. But other, I've heard another brother just a little while ago just tell me just how deeply impressed. I wish all of you could have heard that lesson this morning and had been uh, had seen the Bible class report. Um, it is truly uh, amazing the good work that they are doing in Tanzania, and to be able to spend a little time with them at lunch and to uh, talk with them some more, and to, just to see the kind of commitment that that entire family has, including those three lovely young ladies, their daughters, and the the teamwork that obviously they uh, are engaged in in supporting one. Another, You know, when you have to, as uh, Adam was telling us at lunch today, when you have to boil, boil water so you can wash the vegetables and then you have to boil another pot of water so you can wash the dishes that you eat the vegetables in, uh, there's an awful lot that goes on every day that we um, take for granted. And um, I appreciate their commitment. Uh, they uh, will be going back to the mission field at least for another uh, tour of duty through to the end of 2016, and uh, then the, it's not certain uh, what they will be doing after that, but we certainly want to uh, remember them in our prayers uh, as well. It was a great blessing to have them with us, and uh, we appreciate them so very much as well. Choices. We do make them every day. No question about it. Some are more consequential than others. In about 14 months or so, well, less than that, this congregation will be making a choice about uh, who stands in this pulpit on a regular uh, basis, the Lord willing, uh, as our plans come to fruition at the end of 2016. And that's a very important choice that the church will be making. There are less important choices, obviously, uh, that we make every day of our lives. But tonight, I want to talk about making the choice, not just a choice among choices, but the choice. You know, in Matthew 6 and verse 24, Jesus said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and despise the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Think about that statement again. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then this emphatic finish. You cannot serve God and mammon. What does that statement imply? Well, it not only implies, but it explicitly states that you cannot serve two masters, and the two masters are clearly depicted in the latter part of the verse, God and mammon. And to serve God is equivalent to serving Christ. 
because Christ is God. Think with me along those lines as a part of our introduction to James chapter 1 and verse 1. You know, there are those who claim that Jesus was an important prophet or a great teacher, but he was certainly not God in the flesh. But in the introduction of James's epistle, James says, James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am, James says, a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, members of the Godhead. Now, Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. So, it's either God or mammon. But James says, I'm a bondservant of both God and Jesus Christ, clearly showing that what? Christ is God. If I'm serving both God and Christ, and you cannot serve God and mammon, Jesus says, then Jesus is God. Oh, there are many other ways to approach that clear conclusion, but that's simply one of them. Jesus is God. He is deity. He is God in the flesh. And Jesus, in that great statement as a part of the Sermon on the Mount said, you cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, that is the choice. That's the choice that all of us must make, either to serve God or to serve material things, to place our priorities here in this world. Well, there's a great text in the Old Testament that serves as a foundation for our study of this choice that all of us must make. And that great statement was made by the successor to Joshua, uh, the successor to Moses, Joshua, who near the end of his life, as he had successfully succeeded Moses, his mentor, who was the mediator between God and man, the old covenant and the Israelites, in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, there's a statement that Joshua makes to the people of Israel with which you are quite familiar, most likely. And the statement is this, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a wonderful thing that Joshua could speak for his house because it says he had authority and control and confidence in his own leadership of his family and that he was confident that his family was going to follow his godly lead. But let me suggest to you tonight that there are some very crucial points about this choice about which we're talking tonight that are right here in this verse. And I want us to see, first of all, the mechanics that are involved in making this choice. And then I'd like for us to see the masters involved in this choice. And then I'd like to see the meaning of the choice. And finally, I want us to look at the motivation behind the choice that we make. What is it that motivates us to make this choice and to hopefully make the right choice? First of all, think with me 
based on Joshua's statement here about the mechanics of the choice. In other words, what are the, what are the elements, the mechanics that, that make up this choice? Well, he says, choose, choose. That's one of the mechanics. In other words, it's a choice. It is, first of all, inherently a choice. It is not something that is forced upon us. It is not something that is bestowed upon us in terms of the blessings from the Lord. It is a choice. Now, choice denies Calvinism, doesn't it? We have talked at times about the Calvinistic uh, idea. One of the great tenets of, of Calvinism is predestination. That is that there is no choice that man can make when it comes to which master he will serve. You can't make that choice. You just simply have to wait to see what choice God has already made. And he'll let you know whether or not you are the one or one of the ones whom he has chosen to be saved and all others are lost. That is one of the major tenets of Calvinism. But one of the mechanics found in this great verse is that the choice is just that. It's a choice because he says, choose. Another mechanic is, in the next two words, for yourselves. Have you ever wished that you could make the most important choice in life for someone else? Well, you may not have wished that because you knew it was an impossibility, but I dare say there are those of us here tonight, perhaps every single one of us, who if we had been given the opportunity to make the right choice for someone very close to us who had made the wrong choice, we would have gladly made the right choice for that individual or for those individuals. I dare say that if we are as evangelistically minded as Brother Adam Evans reminded us we should be this morning, all of us here tonight would say, I would choose for every human being alive today I would choose for them to follow the Lord. I would make that choice for them if I could, but you cannot. Nor can they make it for you or for me. Choose for yourselves. That's one of the mechanics of this most important choice that we will ever make in life. Choose for yourselves. But there's another mechanic that's vitally important here in Joshua's statement, and that is expressed in the two words, this day. This day. Those are very crucial words. How many people have you known, or do you know even now, who are saying, I know what to do to become a Christian? And yet, I'm not ready to make that choice. You know, again, this morning, Adam showed us several people with whom he has studied the Bible in Tanzania, and he commented, if you recall, that some of them knew. They know now what they must do. They know the truth. They know what they need to do to obey the gospel. But because they are in adulterous marriages or, or because of other situations that they're not willing to come away from, they have not made the choice. Or have they? You see, the expression this day says they have, doesn't it? That expression this day means if you have chosen not to follow God and obey the gospel of Christ, you have already made the choice to follow the other master. 
Joshua said, this day. And this day is the day that choices have been made, tragically most of them, to remain in Satan's camp. And we'll talk more about that in just a few moments. And so the mechanics that we find in this choice are these. You must choose. It is choice. It's not forced upon you, not made for you. You must choose for yourselves. You cannot choose for anyone else, nor can anyone else choose for you. And it is a choice you have to make right now. You have to make it right now. Now, somebody may say, well, I don't have to make it right now because I may live another 10 years. It doesn't matter if you live another 100 years. You've still made the choice this day. You've still made the choice this day. That's what Joshua said. Make the choice this day. But then we move to the masters. And Joshua's statement continues. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. That brings into play the masters, the masters who are involved, whom you will serve. Joshua didn't say, choose for yourselves this day what you will serve. He said, whom you will serve. It gets us back to Matthew 6, 24, when Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for he'll hate the one, love the other, or be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And to serve mammon is equivalent to serving whom? Satan. Because he is the God of this world. That is, he's the God of mammon. He's the God of the material things. He's the God of the worldly things. And so our choices are not multiple choices. Our choices are only two. Only two. Either God or Satan. Whom? reminds us that it's not an it, but it is whom you will serve. Now that leads us to the meaning of the choice because with the next words, whom after whom you will what? Serve. Joshua said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will what? Serve. And that's the meaning of the choice that we make. Again, people will contend, I have not made that choice. And so I'm not serving God, perhaps. No, I haven't, I haven't committed my life to the Lord, but I certainly am not serving Satan. Yes, you are. Yes, you are, is what Joshua says. Because when you make the choice as to whom, it is not just as to whom, it is to as to whom you will serve. In other words, the master you choose is the master you inevitably serve. You are viewed, in other words, as his servant. You're viewed as his servant. And that's what Joshua makes abundantly clear, that the meaning, the meaning of the choice is you're serving. Brings to my mind Romans chapter 6. And in verses 16 through 18, where the Apostle Paul was recalling with these Christians whom they had served, how did he put that? In Romans 6, 16 through 18, he said, Do you not know 
that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. That's baptism involved in that. That form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Anyone who is still in sin and has not had his or her sins cleansed by the blood of Christ is a servant of Satan. Regardless of how good a person may be in so many ways, regardless of how good or generous a person may be, regardless of how much money he or she may be able to give away and give away, regardless of how many hospitals that individual may build, no matter what that individual does that benefits mankind, if that person does it outside of Christ, that person is serving Satan. Now that statement to a great many people in this world would be just beyond the pale. They would have difficulty understanding how anyone who claimed to be a preacher could make that statement. I hope none of you have that difficulty. But think about it. It has to be true. It has to be true. If I have not chosen Christ as my master, the only other alternative is Satan. And no matter what I am doing in terms of good moral behavior and good deeds... If all of my fruit is not fruit that is a result of my being in Christ, it avails nothing, and I'm still in the kingdom of Satan because I have to obey from the heart that form of doctrine to which Paul refers in the Roman letter, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the likeness of his death, burial, and resurrection, which is baptism preceded by a faith that leads me to repent. As Adam said again this morning, that's the problem in Tanzania. It's the problem in America. Repentance is the most difficult command. It's not belief that that is the most difficult command. It's not confession that is the most difficult command. It's not even baptism that is the most difficult command. Repentance is the most difficult command. People just simply will not repent, many of them. And even though... They may believe that they're not doing any harm. They may not be doing a great deal of good as far as following Christ. Surely you cannot tell me that even though I'm not following Christ, I am following or serving Satan. It's not what I tell anyone. It's what the Bible teaches, and the Bible teaches that we are in his kingdom or in the Lord's, one of the two. There are no other kingdoms. There are no other masters. And so... Those who are outside of Christ, who believe that they can delay their decision, they cannot, they have already made it, and who may believe that indeed they're doing no harm by delaying, as they view it, their decision, because they're certainly not hurting Christ, they are indeed. They are indeed. And so the meaning of the choice is, you will serve the one you choose. You will serve. You are his servant, whether you view yourself as an active servant of his or not. But finally, we see the motivation. And oh, how important this point is. 
to see the motivation that should cause anyone to make the right choice and not to even try to delay it. And Joshua, even in this former dispensation of time, was able to set before the people of Israel a motivation that should have been more than adequate to cause them to commit their lives to God. And how often have we said it from this pulpit, if indeed God thought he had given his people of old ample motivation, how much more should we believe he has given us more than ample motivation? We're on this side of Calvary, not the other side. But listen to what Joshua says. When we go back one verse from verse 15, which has been our key verse, we find these words. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. There's the admonition. Serve the Lord. But verse 14 begins with, now, therefore. And how often have we said, when you see therefore, we need to look and see what it's there for. So, let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. Chapter 24. And read up to the beginning of verse 14 where we find those two words, now therefore. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children were down, went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought our fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites. But listen. He says, but not with your sword or with your bow. And then he says, 
I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them, you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, we're back to verse 14. Now, therefore, why shouldn't you, Joshua says, fear the Lord? That is, give him reverential respect and awe. And why shouldn't you serve him in sincerity and in truth? And why shouldn't you put away, not pack them away and pull them out at a later time every now and then, but put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt? Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. There's the motivation. The rehearsal from Joshua as to what God had done for them was more than adequate to prompt him to say, put away the world and serve the Lord. But what about us? The crossing of the Red Sea was mentioned among these things God had done for them. The greatest deliverance mankind had ever seen until Calvary. And that was the greatest deliverance of all. Because its impact is for as long as time stands. And the benefits of that deliverance will be eternal benefits. For those who avail themselves of the terms set forth by the one who died there. Now, therefore, serve the Lord. And that phrase, in sincerity and in truth, is very, very similar to another one we find in the New Testament, isn't it? God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit is equivalent to in sincerity here, worshiping in sincerity, because spirit indicates the attitude, the heart that's involved. And that's what Joshua said you must do here at this time, and you're amply motivated to do it, people, he said. But we, in our time, are supremely motivated to do it by the greatest sacrifice that has ever been offered. And so whether it's motivation we need to obey the gospel of Christ or whether it's motivation that we need for those of us who have obeyed the gospel of Christ to do what Adam challenged us to do this morning and that is go stand in the temple as it were and speak to the people all the words of this life. Whatever it is we need to be motivated to do, God has given us that motivation. And therefore, it's up to us to respond to it. Tonight, if you haven't responded to the greatest love, the most supreme sacrifice that has ever been or ever shall be made for mortal man, we plead with you to do so by a belief that leads you to repent. Not always an easy thing to do, but you should be motivated to do it. God has given you that motivation. Confess him to be the Christ and be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. If you need to come home to your first love, 
The motivation is God stands, as it were, as pictured in the parable of the prodigal with open arms, looking in your direction from which you left him and waiting and eagerly desiring your return. And the angels wait to rejoice. And for those who need no visible response, may we ever, ever keep before us the greatest motivation that could have ever been given to man to cause us not only to live for him, but as we were reminded this morning, to speak for him and to do all that we can to lead others to him. As we stand to sing, will you come if you need to respond?